0: Salutations! Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. Today we're going to continue to examine ideas and flow about the good life, intentional living, and resources for our spiritual toolboxes. I'm Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. Welcome everyone to my new listeners. I invite you to go back to episode one for the larger explanation of the Hopeful Humanist Project. Episode one is entitled The Happier Quest. And it's now available on Google Play, like all my episodes. Today, we're going to talk about the causes of depression. We're not going to be focusing on treatment, but specifically targeting in on this discussion about what the possible causes are of depression. If you are concerned that you are struggling with overwhelming feelings with depression, suicidal ideation, please reach out to your doctor Get the help you need. You might need to pick up the phone, call Helpline Crisis Line, 911, go to the hospital, but definitely get the help that you need. The goal of this episode is to share some facts about the causes of depression. No advice is being offered about the best kinds of treatment for depression. I thought it would be nice to start with a quote to kind of orient the discussion today. One of the, th- I have three resources that I want to showcase today. And uh, resource number one is a book by Johan Harry called Lost Connections Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and the Unexpected Solutions. So this book just came out in, I believe, January of this year. And there's a quote that caught me when I was reading it, highlighted, and I'm like, you know what? I think that's a great quote to kind of organize this discussion. So, on page 155, a quote is provided by Johan from J. Krishnamurti, and he has said that it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a sick society. When I heard that, I was stepped back mentally, and I'm thinking, okay, so the idea that if if you're in an unhealthy situation you know, the goal is not necessarily to kind of adjust to it and to fit into that unhealthy situation. It's to, you know, realize that something's not right and maybe stand up to it. This thought reminds me of my early university days at the University of Victoria. And uh, one of the days that I'm thinking about, I walked out of a building called the Cornet Building, which was where most of the psychology classes were being taught. And uh, interestingly enough, as a side note, it was um, like a maze in there, which kind of always thought was uh, interesting considering all the experiments done with rats and mazes and kind of felt like maybe this is some kind of experiment that I'm a part of without knowing it. So I walked out of the building and I just had this sense that the world didn't have to be the way that it was, that it could be different, that it wasn't uh, inevitable, that the crown of creation or the apex of evolution, however we want to look at humanity, had ended up at the place that I found myself at that moment, that it could have been different. And I had a, a real strong desire for it to be different. You know, it was... Feeling quite stressed and overwhelmed at that period. And uh, so the quote that I referenced, I think that there's some connection, and that you know we're finding right now, if we, we go to some facts here, that uh, maybe depression is is not necessarily the problem it's a response or perhaps it's a symptom of some kind of greater systemic problem in terms of the way we're living our lives right so we can look at some facts here and uh the other resource that i wanted to kind of highlight is a website from camh which stands for the center for addiction and mental health and I just like to say that uh, you know it's the largest teaching hospital in Canada and one of the world's leading research centers for uh, mental health and uh, addiction. So this resource provides a whole bunch of different tools that uh, a person I th- I think could put in one's toolbox and it could be helpful in terms of navigating uh, the challenges of life. And th- these tools could help us in our Happier quest is identified in episode one. So there's some facts when you you go to the website. One of the things that I find really striking about uh, this website is that there's an opportunity for a lot of education to take place. And if you go to the main home page, you can see that there's a tab education. And if you click on there, then you'll find that there's another sub tab where you can click on Patients, Families, and Public. And under there, click on Public Education. And it brings you to a Mental Health 101 series. And in there, there's a collection of PowerPoints. And uh, the PowerPoint that I'm most interested in in terms of today's discussion is depression. There's a PowerPoint on bipolar disorder or anxiety, one on stigma one on harm reduction, yeah, a whole series of really interesting information presented in PowerPoint form, and each PowerPoint lasts around twenty minutes. So uh, in terms of depression, when you go in there, it provides some information, and it's saying that right now, at this point, ten to twenty five percent of women and ten to fifteen percent of men will experience a major depression in one's lifetime. If we look globally, at the statistics globally, currently 300 million people are struggling with depression. And that's a statistic that comes from the World Health Organization. And the WHO also predicts, the World Health Organization also predicts that by 2020, depression will be the second most common cause of disability worldwide. In Canada, this is from Stats Canada now, according to a 2012 Canadian Health Survey, 7% of young people, 15 to 24, have been identified as having depression in the past 12 months compared to people of other age groups. So, I mean, this is real and it impacts many of us directly, but almost everyone, it would, would seem, indirectly. So this is an important conversation that we need to have, and I I thought that there's always discussion, lots of discussion about the different kinds of treatments that people could access in terms of managing um, the diagnosis of depression. But there's a, right now there's a controversy brewing about causes of depression. The traditional narrative has been the idea that people are struggling with depression because they have a chemical imbalance. They have low levels of serotonin. And that if someone was going in to see a psychiatrist or psychologist, a healthcare professional that could do the diagnosis, and you said, I'm struggling with depression, often the answer to what's going on would be, well, you're struggling with a low levels of serotonin and you have a chemical imbalance. Well, Johan Hari is presenting information, evidence, some data that is putting that theory in question. So if we go back to the CAMH website, and we go back to the depression PowerPoint, we can go to a slide titled, What Causes Depression? And on there, we can see that they're identifying, and I really appreciate this, because I I think this is helpful and important for us not to forget, because sometimes when we're having discussions and we're dealing with the best information that we have, we can sometimes become attached to some information and lose sight of the fact that it's just the best information at the time. So in terms of the cause of depression, one of the first things it shares on this slide is we don't know for sure what causes depression. There are several factors that may play a part, and they've identified that there could be a genetic or family history of depression, childhood adversity, such as poverty or childhood adverse experiences in the early years, uh, abuse, neglect, witnessing a an act of violence, other causes have been identified as being psychological or emotional vulnerability to depression, and then there are biological factors such as imbalances in brain chemistry and the endocrine and immune systems and then major stresses in life and for me i think that uh, we you know we could have a whole bunch of discussions but that last one is definitely something not to lose sight of major stress in a person's life but we can go to the KMH, which is a reputable world class organization that is making a difference in people's lives and uh, one of the su- suggested causes is this idea of a chemical imbalance Johan Hari suggests that having done a lot of research, he presents the case that this is in fact is not, there's no evidence to support this position. So I guess if you're going to kind of knock something down, you kind of have to hopefully put something in its place. And so he goes on to identify um, what he has determined are potential causes of depression. And for me, when when you to still it down, it seems like a word that's kind of appropriate, that kind of captures what we're talking about here, is relationship. A relationship uh, in terms of how we relate to ourselves, a relationship in terms of how we relate to others, relationship in terms of how we relate to the world, to our environment. And uh, so here are the causes that he's identified. And I'm just going to read through them. And, and I want to say, that I strongly encourage any listener to read the book for him or her or for oneself, because I don't think I'm doing justice to the, the depth of the research that this incredible writer has done in terms of trying to figure out what it is we're up against and the things that we need to do to reclaim one's life if one is struggling with depression so the causes are and and you know i think there's some convergence if we're going to say you know what is something that we should hold to be true and believe to be true and we say well you know you know in terms of tendencies of truth you know i if it feels to be true and it tends tends to validate my experience and has some kind of practical value and it's open to scrutiny and has convergence i would i would think that we see that there's definitely some overlap there's some convergence in terms of what um, Johan Harry's offering and Cam H is offering, except the one that's identified in the Cam H website on this PowerPoint. He is he's challenging that. So the the uh, nine causes would be a disconnection from meaningful work, and so I mean perhaps a person hasn't had an opportunity to have a meaningful work experience, or perhaps someone has lost their job, right? And you know in terms of a previous discussion that I've had, I think it was episode three, when we were talking about doing the life balance inventory, I mentioned that I had crossed paths with a person who was, well, if I didn't mention this, this was the context of becoming aware of um, that website and another program that I'm going to talk about, uh, occupational therapist, a meaningful occupation. And that, that's what people want in life. And, and happiness, get back to the happier quest. that we want to be able to engage ourselves in meaningful work. And if you don't have that opportunity, then you will possibly, if you don't have protective factors in place, experience depression. Cause number two, disconnection from other people, isolation. I said in episode one, Relationship is paramount to the happier quest, and we need to be in contact with people, and we need to develop relationships. And part of this whole endeavor, the hopeful humanist cafe, is to you know to give back and to be connected, and a part of a community. Um, for me, that is. I also talked about in episode two in terms of the authentic happiness website that uh, there is a theory for well-being called PERMA, and it's an abbreviation. The P stands for positive emotion, E stands for engagement flow, and R here stands for relationship, and then the M meaning and A for achievement. So once again, we see some convergence. We're we're seeing that you need other people in your life, and it's being suggested from another a, a number of different sources that this is essential for our emotional wellness. So cause number three, disconnection from meaningful values. The author Johan Harry talks about uh, junk values and this idea that we're kind of being pushed in the direction of accepting this story that if we make lots of money and we have lots of things that we're going to be happy. And uh, that, uh, you know, if you have money status and stuff, your level of happiness is going to be elevated, and that's not the case as the uh, as evidence comes in, it doesn't bear that out. Um, cause number four: disconnection from childhood trauma that was mentioned in the CAMH website PowerPoint from uh, on on depression. I just mentioned it. Disconnection from status and respect. Number six: disconnection from the natural world. Number seven: disconnection from a hopeful or secure world. Eight, nine, the role of genes and brain changes. So, Johan Harris, he kind of knocked some things down and he said, you know, when it comes to this theory that's trying to explain about what's happening to someone, it's not because there's a chemical imbalance. The evidence is not there to support that, but we can look at other research. He provides a, a significant case and says that we can look at these nine different causes. So I have two articles to kind of, let's see if we can incorporate into this discussion. This first article is from cbc.ca. It says, uh, it's entitled, "The Salary Sweet Spot. New study claims that this specific amount of money actually can buy happiness. The, this new study comes from Purdue University, and it was, uh, the lead author was Andrew T. Jeb, And he says that they found that the ideal income point is ninety-five thousand for life evaluation, and sixty thousand to seventy-five thousand for emotional well-being. These uh, figures are connected to two main facets of each earner's experience: their sense of emotional well-being and their overall life satisfaction. And when they're talking about overall life satisfaction, they're talking about you know one's ability to attain one's goals and one's success. Uh, rel- relative to others. So those numbers in Canada translate to 120,000 for life evaluation and 76 to 95,000 for emotional well-being. So, I mean, the one has identified that poverty is definitely connected to depression. And we're seeing that, you know, the evidence is suggesting that there's a sweet spot that, you know, in terms of emotional well-being and in terms of one's uh, ideal life evaluation, that if you're making enough that will allow you to account for your basic needs and modern conveniences then you will have happiness in your life above that they say um once you you go uh, beyond those figures and those basic needs and conveniences are uh, acquired that this cycle there's a cycle that begins and there's there's a tipping point in that um, life satisfaction and, and well-being start to drop off. So we can we can see that, you know, maybe someone comes in and says to the doctor, psychiatrist, psychologist, I'm feeling depressed. And at one point, the thought might have been, well, you know what? You have a chemical imbalance. And it was like, well, no, I'm living in poverty. And because I'm living in poverty, there's some things that aren't happening for me. I, I possibly don't have meaningful work. I'm possibly, if I'm homeless, disconnected from other people. I don't necessarily feel uh, that I have respect and status in this world, and I'm not feeling hopeful or secure about my future. We can go in a different direction and find, um, I think, more support for this idea that, you know, if we're going to be looking at the causes for depression, we definitely need to take a total biopsychosocial approach and not just focus on the uh, neurological. And uh, this one comes to, this article is uh, also from the cbc.ca and uh, it says Raptors, DeMar DeRozan, amazed by support over his depression. So I I guess a couple weeks ago, I read this article and uh, DeRozan came out and shared that uh, he's, He's struggling with depression, and uh, he, he was surprised the response was overwhelming, that a lot of people were showing support, and there wasn't a lot of detail, but this part of the article caught my attention, where it says, it seems like demar has been going through a lot in his personal life lately, with his father being sick and his mother battling lupus, so we can see that he's struggling with some stuff. And in terms of the perma, you know, I imagine when he's he's on the court, he's Got some positive emotions. He's probably, in many ways, living the dream. He's he's got meaningful, a meaningful occupation. When he's on the court, he gets to experience flow. He's got relationships um, with his teammates. He's doing meaningful things. He's he's achieving things in terms of being a successful all-star guard for the Toronto Raptors. But we see that, you know, if he was to go into the to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or helping professional and said you know i'm experiencing some depression here that instead of us trying to understand that with that traditional narrative that he has a chemical imbalance and low serotonin levels um what we see here is if you know he's struggling with relationships he's worried he's got tremendous stress in his life because he is worried about his mom and he's worried about his father so i think that you know if we incorporate the idea of greedy institutions, which is something I talked about in a previous episode, that for many of us, we're dealing with chronic stress. And we're being pulled in a number of different directions. And I think that this kind of illuminates that it's not necessarily surprising that there are increases in depression. And that, you know, the prediction that by 2020, that it's going to be the second greatest cause of disability isn't a surprise, and that if this is the world that we're being born into and brought into, it would seem that depression might not necessarily be the problem, but while it is a problem and a struggle point, it's also a symptom of a greater thing that's happening. And it would almost make sense, it would be a sensible response to the world that we're living in. I remember going back to when I came out of the um, coronet building in uh, Victoria, when I lived on Vancouver Island, and I thought, you know, the world didn't have to be this way. I came up with a kind of a playful diagnosis. It's, you know, let me be clear. (laughs) It's not a part of the diagnostic statistic manual in any way. But uh, I came up with this thought that, you know, um, a diagnosis, a playful diagnosis kind of, I guess you can say, an existential diagnosis that many of us were struggling with common, commonplace insanity, that the world is hard, it's hard to be healthy in this world, and that it can be overwhelming. If we have a history of trauma, if we come from a situation of poverty, and we, we move forward and we push forward with life, and we continue to find ourselves in major stressful situations, one after the other, being pulled in these different directions, it's not a surprise that many of us are struggling to maintain emotional wellness. So the point of this episode is to kind of normalize the fact that many of us are struggling and to encourage people to maybe even ask oneself, you know, Johan, you know, you've come up with nine causes of depression, perhaps there's a tenth. I don't know what the tenth could be. I mean, it's. I'm encouraging people to participate in this discussion that at times is otherwise left for the experts. I'm also going to caution you not to take my word for it, right? I want you to be critically reflective. I mean, I think it's important that whenever we're having a discussion, you come with an openness to the discussion. You become aware of your bias. you kind of suspend judgment ask a bunch of questions and then figure out where you stand with something go back and read this article on the salary sweet spot go back and read the raptors demar Derozan rosen article pick up the book johan Hari, lost connections read it check out cam h website and explore that powerpoint on depression figure out what makes sense to you and then fashion a plan to move forward. The other resource I want to highlight is, I'm just looking at my notes here. Yeah. So I had mentioned that I had a discussion with someone at a mindfulness training. Well, I didn't mention that I was actually at a mindfulness training, but I went to a mindfulness training workshop, met someone who was an occupational therapist. This person made me aware of the do Live Well website, which is where the Life Balance Survey was for, I believe it was episode three. And then also, we started having a discussion about chronic pain. And well, there you go. Um, a 10th potential cause of uh, depression, pain, like physical pain, because it becomes debilitating, overwhelming, and that could lead to depression. So I thought it would be helpful to also highlight this last resource and it's called Better Choices, Better Health Ontario. It's available to residents of Ontario experiencing chronic health conditions and for caregivers and friends and family members of someone who has a chronic health condition. It's a free six-week online course for self. It's a self-management program and it's based on a Stanford University workshop model. I believe it's also available in Alberta. I don't know if it's available in other um, provinces, and because it was created in uh, the United States in Stanford, I imagine it's got to be available throughout the U.S. as well. But uh, it's a if you're a resident of Ontario, it's free. You can go online. You can Google Better Choices, Better Health Ontario, and it can it'll take you to a place where you can register online for a free course in terms of learning about ways that you can manage a chronic health situation. So these are three really incredible resources that I've shared with you. I think they can make a big difference if you put them into your spiritual toolbox. I, I'd i like to say that, you know, in terms of just participating in the discussion about, you know, a 10th cause, poten- you know, a potential 10th cause for um, depression, I, I have a couple of key- Potential candidates, I think, that uh, could meet that uh, that idea of being a contender. And uh, unfortunately, um, I would think that uh, you know, waking up when when we were talking about uh, in a past episode about waking up to one's life, I think that that could be a pretty overwhelming moment. That if we've kind of been walking through life asleep, when you wake up and you have an insight especially if you feel powerless to do something about that insight, I think that could lead to depression. I mean, Socrates said, the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And I imagine that when we do arrive at a point for whatever reason that we might start waking up to things and start asking ourselves some questions, we might think, oh my gosh, you know, I wish perhaps this moment would have happened sooner because I feel so far away from where I want to be. And that could result in a little bit of existential angst, some depression, um, some nausea, as uh, Jean Paul Jean-Paul Sartre would say. Um, he has a, a novel called Nausea. I think he had proposed that it was going to be called Melancholia, and it's very much about you know reason, realizing the contingency of the world, that the world doesn't have to be like this, but uh, yet it is, and that um, we are responsible for creating a meaning in this world and uh, that that's a pretty big maybe a burden he says you know we're condemned to be free and I think that you know from an existentialist philosophical position could also be another contender for a 10th cause of depression so yeah I just think there there's some benefit for us all to put on our thinking caps and open up to what Johan Harry is offering us I don't think we need to, you know, wave the pointing finger of judgment um, at uh, those hardworking individuals who are, you know, in in um, the research field, and you know, had and initially maybe thought, you know, hey, maybe it's a low serotonin. We we have to start somewhere. We have to come up with a proposal. We have to have an idea that we then test, and that's the basis of science. And you know, I think we came up with our best guess, trying to figure out why, you know, when. I mean, in terms of one of the things that Johan Hari was sharing, is that uh, if you know we we want to understand what happened in terms of this theory that was presented in terms of the chemical imbalance theory, it's it was an accident of history. It wasn't it wasn't an, an intentional malicious thing. It was us attempting to do the best we could, and uh, in a ward in a hospital in New York City in 1952. Some of the physicians had noticed that when they were treating different patients, uh, TB patients, with um, this uh, chemical that they thought would help, uh, with uh, medication that they thought would help, they noticed they became gleeful or like, "Wow, hey, maybe we should try that out on some people that are depressed." And you know, along comes a, a doctor, a British doctor in 1965, who proposes a theory. He's like, "Maybe it's low serotonin levels," and you know, he's he's trying to make sense out of it the good news is that built within this scientific process the scientific endeavor is the idea that once we continue to do the experiments and we get good information we can open up to the new information we can make the changes that are necessary so this is a big discussion um, depression I mean I just kind of focused on um, the causes uh, and uh, Johan Harry presents a great case for looking at the social psychological causes without dismissing the biological because it has to be considered but saying that there's been a dominant narrative let's listen to some of these other stories that have kind of been neglected the other voices that have been neglected in the process and uh, let's see if we can make sure we give everyone the best care that one deserves so check out those resources And I'd like to say I look forward to talking with you when I put together episode five in uh, April. And I'd like to say peace, be well, do well. Thank you.